Last week, we began a new um, series of messages that we're calling New, Life After Religion. And we're, we're just looking at some basic, normal stuff that ought to be a foundational part uh, of our walk and our relationship with God. And we're discovering that the, the great thing about being a Christian is not what goes on around us, it's what goes on inside of us. And this is a, this is a message of, of freedom and liberation. And you, a pastor preaches these kind of messages knowing that there's just a, there's a percentage, I don't know exactly what it is, but there's a, there's, a, there's a group, there's some number of people that are just going to reject it out of hand. They're going to say, no, it can't be that good, it can't be that, that can't be true, that can't be the way it really is. I could almost stand up here and tell you we were all space aliens living on some foreign planet, and God, you know, translated us here, and you'd go, oh, Pastor Scott said it, it must be true. But I can tell you about the grace and the mercy and the liberty and the freedom uh, with which Christ died to set us free, and some number of us will go out of here going, well, that can't be true. I don't know why that is. Last week, we talked about the problem with religion. Religion being man's attempt to connect with God by doing stuff, by, by observing rituals, or performing ceremonies, or keeping rules. And we saw that a big part of the reason why we feel like failures so much of the time when it comes to religion is because we're not very good rule keepers. I mean, we can't even get people to agree on what the rules are. You ever wondered why there's a, ch a different church on every corner? We can't get people to agree on what the rules are or which ones are important. And so a lot of people live with this constant sense of frustration. I mean, we, you know, God's out there, but we can't figure out where we stand with Him because we can't figure out the rules. And so we feel frustrated and afraid, and we feel a little bit, more than a little bit, condemned because, you know, Jesus might come back or we might die. And then God would say, oh, you almost got it. You almost tipped the scale over to the good side. But right there at the end, it, it tipped to the bad. Sorry about that. And it happens to both believers and unbelievers. Because we think God is grading us on our performance. And that makes us feel uneasy because we don't perform very well. And so I know a lot of Christians who feel, like I said, frustrated and afraid and condemned. There's no uh, enjoyment. There's no satisfaction in their Christian life because they think they've always got to do more and try harder and be better. And you know, on the days when we are, and forget perfection, we long ago let ourselves off the hook for perfection. That's God's standard, but that's not ours anymore. What's ours? Just strive. <laughs> we let ourselves off the hook with just striving, right? So on the days when we're more consistent, God gives us a gold star. And on those days when we're not as consistent, you know, maybe he peels one off and takes it off there, and we're down one star today because we didn't do as good today as we did yesterday. And we try to live that way. And so what we saw last week is that boil it all down, throw it all out there, there are two ways to live. There are two ways, two approaches to life and our walk with God. And one of the things that God sent Jesus to do was to introduce a brand new way of living, a brand new way of life. Now we're, we're going to be principally in, in the same verses that we looked at last week. 
in Romans chapter 8. So if you want to turn over there to the book of Romans, right after Acts, but before you get over into 1st and 2nd Corinthians, is the book that Paul wrote to the Christians at Rome. Last week we saw verse 1, which says, So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Jesus Christ. Now in my translation of the Bible, there's a period there. Is there one in yours? There is no condemnation for those who belong to Jesus Christ. And that's great news. That's great news because when we became a Christian, we became uncondemnable. Well, what if I do this? Doesn't matter. What if I do that? Doesn't matter. We are uncondemnable because we now have a relationship with God that cannot be changed, at least not on our part. Who, who offered the relationship, us or God? Who authored the relationship, us or God? Who did everything that was necessary for that relationship to exist, us or God? Now, why do we think we can change the terms? Verse 2. Romans 8.2. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. Now, I see two powers there. Do you? The power of the life-giving spirit and the power of sin that leads to death. There's the two ways to live. There's the two ways to live. The old life, the life that we're born into, is the power of sin that leads to death. Sin equals death. Always has, always will. You sin, you die. It might be a physical death, might be a relationship death, but sin always leads to death. The Bible says the wages of sin is what? Death. Sin always leads to death. That's the life we're born into. But when we became a Christian, we were brought into a brand new way of life established by Jesus. Paul calls it the power of the life-giving spirit. We're going to call it the power of life in Christ. And here's what we need to remember. We talked to, we, somebody, we're, we're doing some recap, <clears throat> but I read some statistics that said um, people who come to church twice a month consider themselves regular attenders. Well, how generous of you. <clears throat> so, so what that means is you basically have to preach the same message two or three weeks for everybody to hear it. Okay? So if you're saying, I thought you just said this last week. I did. I'll probably say it next week too. Jesus didn't roll up in here saying, hey, you know what? We've got to make a few tweaks, a few changes to this way that we relate to God. You know, what I'm offering you uh, is, a, is a kind of a, a, a reboot of the old version of living, kind of a souped-up version. The Christian life is not that. It's not an upgrade of the old life. It's a completely new, a completely different way to live, and it has nothing in common with the old one. And when we become a Christian, we are taken out of the old life and put into the new life. In fact, the only way to become a Christian is to acknowledge that through Jesus Christ, God brought us a new way to live. 
See, we don't become a Christian by promising God we're going to do better or do more, <laughs> try harder, be better. We know that. I told you, every Christian I know says, yeah, well, I became a Christian by grace through faith in what Christ did, not because of anything I did, not by relying on what, what we do. I mean, we all know when we came to Christ that we said or we expressed some version of this. God, I can't do anything about my life. I'm helpless and I'm hopeless and I, need, I don't need a second chance. I don't need a do-over. I need a savior. I need someone to do for me what I cannot do by myself for myself, right? Everybody, every Christian on the planet acknowledges that's how I came to Christ. And that's completely different, right, than saying, God, I just need a little more time. Give me a little more time to work this out. Let me, let me try a little harder. Let me be a little more committed. No. See, the issue is the new life is about a relationship. It's about a relationship with a person. And that's why God can say, when you've trusted my son, Jesus, as Lord and Savior, you're uncondemnable. You are made acceptable, as acceptable as you will ever be. And it doesn't hinge on what you do. It, do, it hinges on what Christ did for us. See, in the old life, everything hinged on what we did. Everything. How we performed, how consistent we were, how hard we worked. But in the new life, it's what Christ has done, period. But here's what we do. And here's where I want to focus today. Our tendency is to think of the new life only in, in terms of salvation. Only in the context of salvation. And we don't understand how it relates to everyday life. We only see the new life as the way we became a Christian. But when it comes to living every day after that, we try to function and relate to God like we did in the old life. So here's some good news. The power of life in Christ, the power of the life-giving spirit has as much, if not more, to do with our everyday lives as it does with getting us to heaven when we die. When we understand how to live the new life every day, it will transform our experiences as Christians. But see, Jesus doesn't just transform our eternal lives. He transforms our everyday lives, here and now. A lot of times back in the old days, preachers would be accused of preaching about pie in the sky by and by. Because life is so hard here on this earth, you just, you know, but it's all going to be better over there. Over yonder, it's all going to be better over yonder. Well, Jesus didn't just come for over yonder. He came for here, now, today. <laughs> and you know why we struggle so much? Because before we became Christians, when we were unbelievers, we all had a moral code. We had some rules that we lived by, that we lived by. Now, some of us didn't have very many rules, <laughs> and some of us didn't have very good ones. But we had some. You know, they may not, we may not have had a lot of positive, but we had some lines we wouldn't cross. 
right? We all, uh, but, but for the most part, we all thought it was good to be nice to other people as long as they were what? Nice to us, right? And don't kill anybody. That pretty much made everybody's list of rules to follow, right? Don't kick the dog and, um, and, and try to be a good employee. Uh, and, and so we, we were unbelievers, but we still had this be good mentality. And then we met Jesus. We met Jesus and we learned that we can't ever be good enough. And, and, that, and so we, we placed our trust and our faith in him and he forgave us and he saved us. And now we're going to heaven when we die. And we assume, because it's part of our makeup, it's part of who we are, it's how we're wired. We assume that now we've got to use a souped up, Christianized version of the old life just with some new information, right? Some better motivation. I mean, we had some rules before. Man, we got a lot of them now. And they come from everywhere. Every, every preacher, every Sunday school teacher, the person who led us to Christ, the person that leads our Bible study, they just tell us, do these things and you'll be good and acceptable to God. Follow these rules and good things will happen in your life and in your marriage and on your job and in your finances. And so we say, thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Now, I'm going to give this thing my best shot. God. I'm going to give it 110%. I'm going to go for broke, and I'm going to keep the commandments, and I'm going to live for you, Jesus, and I'm going to just show you, I'm going to prove to you that I love you. I mean, I'm going to, what will I do for you after all you've done for me? And the problem is, we can keep that up for about 15 minutes. Because all we're doing is trying to tack some Christian stuff onto the old life. When we say, I'm going to earn recognition, I'm going to earn acceptance from you, God, by my efforts, by my strength, by doing good things, we're trying to live the Christian life just like we lived the old life. And this may, this will come as a surprise to some people perhaps, but not to people that are around here all the time. Uh, Jesus didn't come to earth just so we can go to heaven when we die. That's not the only reason he came. Jesus, in fact, told his followers that the thief wants to steal from you, wants to kill you, wants to destroy you. But you know why I came? So that you would have abundant life. In, in Romans, I'm thinking it's in chapter 3 or 4. I wish I'd remembered exactly where it was. But Paul says something along these lines. God saved us through Christ's death, but how much more are we being saved by his life? It's not just about heaven when we die. It's about life right here and right now. Now, our tendency is to say, yes, I'm saved by grace, but now I've got to work till Jesus comes to be a good Christian and live according to this book. And guess what? There are a very small group of people who can pull that off. They are people who are naturally disciplined, and they are very, very successful at living very structured, well-ordered lives. They're good rule keepers, but know this, they were that way before they got saved, right? They were that way before they got saved, and so they take to a Christianized version of the old life like a fish takes to water, and they make, they're the ones that make the rest of us go, whoa, this is the best Christian I've ever seen. I mean, they're at church every time the door is open, and I think they've memorized the whole New Testament. 
And they never miss a quiet time. They're always talking about some amazing insight they got through Bible study. And man, they pray and God speaks to them. And they read all the Christian books. And they, they watch all the preachers on TV. I mean, they just blow us out of the water. Because there are people who, who, who take some Christian information and the old way of living and their overly developed personal discipline, and they appear to be able to make the Christian life work for them like that. But hang out with them a little bit. Because you won't meet a more judgmental, less empathetic group of people on planet Earth. They can't understand why all of you can't do it like I do. It's so, it's so simple. It's like falling out of bed. Why can't you do it like I did? Well, I guess I'll have to write my book. Here are seven steps to doing it like I did. Right? Then you can have your, your best life now. They're more than happy to show you to do it, just like they do, you know? Uh, but they're not people you feel comfortable being around. Judgmental streaking them a mile wide. But isn't it funny? that the, the most sinful, most messed up people in Jesus' day, and folks, we're talking about crooks. We're talking about thieves and prostitutes and corrupt politicians. Just lost, messed up people. They were attracted to Jesus. They couldn't beat him off with a stick. They flocked to him. When's the last time lost people flocked to any Christians you know? The only person on earth who was ever qualified to judge anybody didn't have a judgmental bone in his body. Jesus is just not very religious, is he? That's part of our problem with him. He's not as religious as we are. So... Sure, there are some people who can do the Christian thing with sheer willpower and personal discipline, but you and I aren't that good. I can keep up that approach, like I said, for about 15 minutes before I crash and burn, and most of us are like that. We become a Christian or we, we rededicate our lives and we say, Lord, I'm serious this time. Well, those other times, you know, <laughs> around the, the final campfire there at camp or uh, at that revival or, or that Bible study where things got really emotional, you know, people started to open up or, or that worship service where the lights were just right and we were all crying. I wasn't serious those times, but I'm serious now, God. I mean, I, I mean it. I'm going to get discipled and I'm going to study and I'm going I'm to work hard. We're just, we're just sold out. You ever been to one of those meetings where the guy on the stage wanted you to sell out for Jesus? What did that mean? Well, they were a little skimpy with that part of the information. Except that it always ended up being about doing something, didn't it? Doing more, trying harder, being better. Always, always, always ended up about that. That's what selling out looks like. You add more things. You do more stuff. You try a little harder. We start reading through the Bible, and we say, well, I can do that. And I, I can do that. 
<laughs> and then we get to submit to my husband? Seriously? Give my money? Cheerfully? Are you kidding me? Control my thought life? What does that even mean? Don't lust? Don't gossip? The sexual relationship is just for marriage? Well, I'll try, I guess, but I don't see much hope of, of getting this stuff right. I mean, I don't think I can live the Christian life. And here's the truth that we've got to absorb today. We can't live the Christian life. We were never supposed to. As long as our approach is, God, thanks for the instructions. Thanks for the new rules. I'll take it from here. I'm going to do it. I'm going to make it happen. We will always fail. Always. Because we can't live the Christian life. You know what the Christian life is? It's Christ's life. That's what Christian life literally means. Life of Christ. It's Christ's life. Now, how are we going to live his life? I mean, seriously, how are we going to live his life? It is the ultimate in pride. I'll tell you what it really is. It's crazy to say, God, I'm going to find it within myself to live Christ's life. <laughs> I'm going to serve you. I'm going to be so committed. The Christian life is the life of Jesus. That's why it's called the Christian life. It's not called the disciplined life. It's not called the holy life. It's not called the, the righteous life. It's the Christian life. It's Christ's life. And the only person who ever could or ever did live the Christian life is Christ. He's the only one. And the reason that we fail and fall over and over again, the reason we stumble over the same things again and again and again, whether it's lust or gossip or sexual temptation or controlling our temper, we can't seem to move past it. It's because God didn't leave us with our old life to conquer those things. Jesus came so that we might have life, so that we might have new life. Whose life? His life. No, the Christian life is not about doing more and trying harder and being better. The Christian life is not a self-improvement program. It's not a personal inventory where we figure out all the things that are wrong with us and then decide how we're going to fix them. The goal of the Christian life is not to make ourselves better. The goal of the Christian life is to allow Jesus to live his life in us and through us. That's the challenge of the Christian life. Now, here's, here's where it gets interesting. This is not new information. You've heard this. The old life, the, the, the old I'll do my best. Trust me, God, I'll take it from here. I got this. That system, the Bible has a name for that, doesn't it? It has a description for that. We read it a few minutes ago. It's called the, the power of death, right? The power of sin and death. It is living by our sinful nature, living by our flesh. It's the life of sin and death. Now, like I said, we, there's only two options. The choice is pretty clear. I mean, it seems like to me, we choose life or we choose death. 
Look at verse 3, back there in Romans 8. Um, let's get down to about the middle where it says, and in that body, God declared, in that body, that's Christ, because the previous sentence says he sent his son in a body like we have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. Verse 4. He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful nature, who no longer follow our flesh, but instead follow the Spirit. Believers don't follow. Some translations say uh, walk after or live by the sinful nature. That's the old life. The Christian life isn't lived by saying, I'll take it from here, Lord. Thanks for the instructions. I'm going to listen to those CDs and, and read some books, and I'm going to earn, you know, in order to, to do and in order to be. That's not the Christian life. That's being controlled by the flesh. That's being controlled by the sinful nature. Now, here are a couple definitions about what that means because we've got, to get a little, we've got to add a little more to that. It's hard for us to understand. Being controlled by my sinful nature means I'm trusting in my strength and my determination to bring about the changes I think need to take place in my life. That's what it means to be controlled by the flesh. Lord, I'm motivated. I'm going to be a better husband, a better wife, better parent, better friend, better student, better boss, better employee. Lord, I am going to do it. And we're just as sincere. I mean, we mean it. We really mean it. We feel it. But we can't do it. We can't do it because we don't have the strength or the power or whatever it is that it takes to live the Christian life. Only one person ever lived the Christian life. Here's another definition. Being controlled by our sinful uh, nature. It's me staying in control of my life. It's me in control of my life. The pronouns are the giveaway. When we hear ourselves saying, Lord, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to get this right. We may look religious and we may show up at church and we may read our Bibles, but we've retained control. I'm going to put this thing uh, uh, through in my own strength and I'm going to accomplish something good for you, God. The Bible says, that, that living that way, that, living, that, that the old life, being controlled by our flesh, being controlled our, by our sinful nature, always leads to the same place. Look at verse 6. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. But letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. Letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. Now, there's the old life. Remember, it's called the power of sin and death. You sin, you die. Sin always causes death. When we sin morally, sexually, ethically, there's a death in a relationship. Right? If we sin financially, there'll be a death in our resources. Some sins lead directly to physical death. Death is always attached to sin, and being controlled by our sinful nature always leads to death. Being controlled by our flesh always leads to death. Now, I don't know about you, 
But I worked for years <laughs> to make my Christian life work under that old system. I pray, Lord, do something in me. I mean, help me get over this. Help me get over these habits in my life. I mean, God, I, I try and I try and I try and I just can't seem to get anywhere. I can't seem to make any progress in my Christian life. And then I would pray the prayer that we all need to pray. Lord, I just can't do it. That's what God needs to hear. It's when we get to the end of ourselves that God can say, finally, that's what I was waiting for. That's what I've been trying to show you. Listen, if you have tried to live the Christian life and failed, you're normal. That's all. You're normal. Because we can't live the Christian life because it's Jesus' life and he's the only one that can live it. That's why God gives us new life. That's how we experience the life of Jesus in us and through us. Well, Pastor, you've got me so confused. I'm not sure I get this. Well, well, think about it this way then. What happened when we became a Christian? There were some things that happened. We said, Lord, I need a Savior. I need a Savior to save me from the penalty of my sin. Well, living the new life every day means we now say, Lord, I need a Savior to save me from the power of sin in my everyday life and my experience. When we became a Christian, we came to God and we said, I can't do anything to save myself. Well, living the new life every day means we say, I still can't do anything to save myself. When we became a Christian, we said, I need Jesus to save me from my past. Living the new life every day means we now say, I need Jesus to save me every single day. When we became a Christian, we said, I accept the gift of salvation by faith. Living the new life every day means I accept Jesus' life in me and through me by faith every day. When we became a Christian, we said, God, I'm not trying to win any points with you. I know I'm saved by grace through faith. And living the new life every day means we now say, God, I'm still not trying to win any points with you. I have to live by grace through faith. Here's what I'm talking about. Here's the bottom line, and you've heard this before. Some of you have. Some of you have heard it and didn't understand what it meant because this foundation had not been built for you. But here we go. We stay in the same way we got in. We stay in a relationship with God the same way we got into a relationship with God, by grace through faith. No, I'm not saved by works. The Bible says I'm not saved by works. Well, guess what? You don't live the Christian life by works either. No, I wasn't saved by works. I was saved by grace through faith in Jesus. That's right. And you don't live the Christian life by works either. You live it by grace through faith in Jesus. The biggest step forward that we will ever take in our experience of Christ is when we realize that we stay in like we got in by grace through faith. 
That's the, the, the Christ life. Christ's life is not about us saying, thanks, God, I got this. It's about saying, Lord, I'm no more able to save myself or to help myself than I have ever been. When it comes to being a, a husband, a wife, or a, a son, a boss, an employee, when it comes to my, my thought life and, and dealing with my anger and lust and gossip and, and my friends and, and peer pressure, I'm not strong enough to manage it by myself. I still need a Savior today as much as I ever have. It's not my strength. My commitment, my dedication. It's not I, me, my. It's Lord, I can't, but you can. Lord, I can't, but you can. Lord, I can't be the husband I need to be, the wife I need to be, but God, you can. Lord, I, I can't overcome temptation, but you can. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15 says that Jesus understands our weaknesses. For he faced all the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. There's that, there's that unique life of Christ. Jesus was the only one who ever did that. Who faced every temptation, some translations say, just as we do, yet without sin. So that means that whatever we face, whatever we face, Jesus has already faced it. He's already faced it. He faced every temptation known to human beings. He dealt with, with loneliness and rejection. And that's the Jesus that lives in us. Last week we talked about Jesus kept the law perfectly. So the perfect law keeper lives in us. So I don't have to worry about keeping the law. Well, when it comes to temptation, when it comes to overcoming the, 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 the problems, the obstacles, the issues I have in my life, guess what? Jesus was faced with every one of them and yet did not sin and now he lives in me. That's the Jesus that lives in us. He says, I'll, I'll handle it. But first, you've got to stop trying to handle it yourself. So here's the challenge as we wrap things up today. It's a challenge for each one of us. Beginning tomorrow morning, let's start the day saying, Lord, I know I'm going to face temptation. And, and I'm not strong. I, I, I can't handle them. I can't work my way through them. I can't do it. But Lord Jesus, you can. And so I ask that you live your life in me and you live your life through me. And if I try to slip back into the old life, Jesus, bring me back to where I started my saved life. Grace through faith. Just as I accepted my eternal life by faith. By faith, Jesus, I want you to live in me, through me. Staying in like we got in will fundamentally change our experience of the Christian life. Only Christ can live the Christian life. Let's let him do it in us and through us. Bow your heads, please.